0: Behold, I have heard your cries, and I've seen your tears, and I will heal you. I felt that was a direct answer. And it was maybe three or four months later in this year-and-a-half or so process that it left as soon as it came. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief.
1: On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Chaplain Tammy Harris. Tammy, thank you for coming in today.
0: Oh, my pleasure.
1: You have a very interesting history I'm excited to talk about. You're actually the daughter of a military chaplain. But I wonder if you would take us back to your very first memories of church or God, any of that.
0: Sure, I would be happy to. Mostly unusual, I guess, is my very first memories of church go back to the Utah State Prison. My father was the prison chaplain there before he went into military service, and I remember being just three, four, five years old and singing for the inmates the song, you know, I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart, um, singing I'm a child of God. And I just knew it was church. I didn't know there was anything different about it. I do remember thinking, huh, everybody dresses the same, (laughs) But but I didn't really think much about it. Did that for ages three, four, five, six, and then my dad went into military service. When people would be released, my father would invite those who he felt had really paid their debt to society, were very penitent, and they would come to our home for their first home cooked meal mm. um, outside of prison. And again, I didn't know that there was any, those were the friends dad worked with. I didn't think that there was anything unusual about who those people were, why they're at our house. Um, and it was a lovely experience. We were never hurt or made afraid or anything. In, Improper took place; they were just daddy 's friends hmm. and it wasn 't until I was older that I realized those cinnamon rolls that I ate in the cafeteria were cooked by the inmates. The haircuts that took place in the prison barber shop were done by <laughs> inmates. We really kind of had the run my brother and I the run of the floor of the of the prison. I went back fifty years later and gave a talk there at the little chapel by the wayside that 's still there. And the smell came right back to me of memory. Mm. It just smelled like clean linoleum floors. The sound of walking on them, I think they were the original floors. I mean, everything was very familiar. And those memories came rushing back of good feelings that, that happened there. I felt God there.
1: Tell me about what that meant, to feel God there.
0: A peace, a joy. Sorry, um, get a little bit emotional Thinking about it, with the perspective I have now, I realize that God can be anywhere yeah, and that he was definitely with those men and women who were seeking to change and turn their lives around. Interestingly enough, one of the people that were often there is a visitor, is a presiding authority was Elder Hubie Brown. Um, He dedicated the little chapel by the wayside, and I was there for that dedication. And again, I just knew him as a nice grandpa type man. (laughs) Didn't really think, I mean, the name didn't mean anything to me. But he said the phrase that's been coined, and we hear it quite a bit now, um, no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. And I believe the inmates felt that. And I use that now with my students who are in residential treatment that we end every interfaith service with no matter what my past has been, I have a spotless future. They repeat it, Mm -hmm. owning it in in first person.
1: Now, he was a high general authority in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You yourself were the first woman to be a chaplain from an LDS background.
0: Well, it's kind of an interesting story. I didn't go into it thinking— one day I want to be just like my dad. I want to be a chaplain. I actually wanted to be a seminary teacher. But when I was I had just turned 30 years of age, my father had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And he was dying and he was given two months to live, but he actually did quite well. And he was at that time, he'd retired from the military, but he was the chaplain at a residential treatment center. But it got to the point where he was getting quite weak. And he said, do you think you could cover for me sometime if I'm too weak to come in? I'm like, sure, Dad, I'd be happy to. And he said, well, why don't you come with me tomorrow? I'll introduce you to the students, the staff, show you where we meet, just kind of give you the rundown. Because I had attended interfaith worship services Protestant Youth of the Chapel, Catholic Vacation Bible School, um, my whole life. I mean, I had kind of understood the drill as far as an interfaith, non-denominational service went, knew the songs that we would sing in PYOC, Protestant Youth of the Chapel. And so I was absolutely happy to help out in that way. I came in that Sunday, and he died two days later. Hmm. So that absolutely launched my chaplaincy, but I didn't think about it at the time. The facility just said, please keep coming. We, we don't have anybody yet. And so I did that for the next three months. And then after three months, they hired someone uh, to take my father's place. And he said, I, I'm going to need her as a relief chaplain two times a month because I've got conferences and different things I'll, I'll be doing. So I came in half the time for the next five years. And then after five years, they uh, said, we'll waive a, a master's in divinity. The chaplain is retired. We would like you to take over. At that point, I hadn't had, I didn't have a master's degree. I hadn't finished or even started actually clinical pastoral education. I kept thinking about it, but it was only offered at one facility in Salt Lake, and I'd have to be there full time. I had little kids. I mean, it just, the timing wasn't right. But I did that for another um, nine years and then went to the facility that I'm at now at at Heritage Community in Provo, finished my master's degree in crisis response and trauma, completed my clinical pastoral education. There we go. (laughs) But So through that time, I remember thinking, should I contact somebody at the church and say, is it okay if I do this? (laughs) And then I thought, well, what are they going to say? It's someone's job? Are they going to say, no, you can't do that because I wasn't doing anything immoral, right? It wasn't yeah. a, you know it was a wonderful job where I was helping people, but I still thought I should maybe let somebody know I'm doing this. And so I just made sure I let my stake president and my bishop always know what I was doing. And along the way, there were a few inquiries, questions about how this would work for really opening it up for female chaplaincy in the LDS church. What I did, how it worked for me, how I got into it, my philosophy, how it worked with my family, just all of those things. And that was maybe 15 or so years ago. Never heard back, but that was fine. But then I kept in touch with the LDS chaplain's office as well, so I would be on their radar. In 2014, the church went with endorsement of non-federal chaplains, which then included women. And there's quite a few of us out there now. I got into chaplaincy because I wanted to help my dad. And then it just went from there. It wasn't because I thought, that's my career choice. That's yeah. the path I want to take.
1: Well, your father was a so. military chaplain, became one. As you mentioned, you graduated from high school in the Philippines. In your growing up, did you go through any of the same wonderings that so many do? Like, well, okay, I was taught this, but is, this, is God really there
0: I don't remember going through that. I really don't. Um, I've had many experiences that I would consider miracles in my life. I knew that God was real and I knew that He was there. Um, One challenge that I had was I was about a year old when my parents noticed unusual spots on my body and they were everywhere but my hands and my face. And went to many doctors and eventually I was diagnosed with a pigmatosa, which is a disease in the mast cells of the body. And they usually go away within a few years. But I was given a blessing by my great grandfather and my father and uncle that by the time it was important enough for me that these would be gone, that they would be gone. And I really thought kindergarten, kindergarten is very important. You're going to school for the first time <laughs> This was in the era of dresses, right? This was in the early 1960s. Everyone, every female had to wear a dress to school. And my teacher pulled up my dress and pulled down my socks and showed everyone the spots on my legs and said, Now, she can't help it. Um, You need to be nice to her. And I don't want to hear anyone calling her Leopard Girl or Spot. Well, they never had before. <laughs> but she'd just given them the words, right? Just given them the names. And that actually taught me um, compassion, and it taught me mm. to be kind to those who were different. And they didn't go away in kindergarten. And I remember praying a prayer of deep faith one time that they would go away that night during the night, and that I would wake up and I would be spot-free and they didn't. But along the way, I still I still learned. Went to junior high school. This was the time of community showers and changing for mm-hmm. PE into your uniform every day, right? Again, I was so odd in these spots. They're kind of like what a cat and a dog have, just, just not random. little, just random and brownish red. Mm-hmm. They would flare up uh, with allergies and get raised and be really angry looking. And other times, if I spent a lot of time in the sun, they were just almost shadows. So it just depended on the time of year and what was going on. Didn't happen then, didn't happen when I moved to the Philippines and I was spending a lot of time at the beach, but I still knew and believed in the promises of that blessing. Well, by the time I was getting married, I was getting married actually the next week. I only had one left and that was on the inside of my left arm. And I realized. That God's prayers are answered, they may not be answered immediately, and they may not even be answered in this life, but but prayers to God are answered. But other prayers I've I've prayed have been answered almost immediately, and I just knew I had this feeling of peace whenever I would think about um, an eternal Father in heaven who loved me, that resonated with me. I knew that to be true. I questioned the authority of my parents much more than I ever did my faith.
1: That's so, great. You know, where, where you are working, and how would you describe in a clinical situation you're working with?
0: At-risk teenagers, mm-hmm. um, half the population experience um, autism spectrum disorder or neuroatypical development And the others, uh, major depressive disorders, both have lots of trauma, have experienced lots of trauma in their life. That's really why I went after a, a master's degree in crisis response and trauma versus a master's in divinity. It just felt like I would use that throughout my life, whether... I'm a chaplain or I'm serving right. in a voluntary position somewhere, working with the Red Cross, if I do that, some, whatever it is, that I can use. Everywhere.
1: So is the purpose of a chaplain so that there is someone, sort of a spiritual anchor, maybe in a place where there's not a regular congregation or there's a mixture of different it, it's faiths?
0: It's that. It's that. And there's definitely a mixture of faiths. So. So for instance at the last two facilities um, where I've been, I have between 15 and 20 different religions represented with the student body. Mm. People come from all over the world. We've you know we have people from the Middle East and we've had people from South America uh, who bring their students to our facility. And so they want to know that their Catholic child, their Jewish child, their evangelical child, their LDS child, that, that there's somebody there that can point them in the right direction to that faith leader. So whether it's working with the Rabbi Benny Zippel, for instance, at the Chabad Lubavitch of Utah, and helping to meet the needs of the Jewish students, um, whether it's providing um, a kosher kitchen, which we do have at our facility. But that again was helped through Rabbi Zippel in getting that established and ready and, and available for our students. Um, if I have questions about uh, something specific, for instance, in, oh, maybe let's say um, Seventh day Adventist. Right, Maybe I'm being asked about baptism within Seventh-day Adventist tradition, and I'm uncertain at the time. Well, I'm a part of the Utah Valley Interfaith Association, and I have friends that I can just call and say, hey, I'm lazy right now about looking this up. (laughs) (laughs) what What can you tell me about this? And they can come and meet with my students as well. So I conduct, and I'm the speaker, the preacher at the Interfaith Worship Service, which is Really unusual for anybody but a, a military chaplain, that doesn't happen a lot. Hospice chaplains, chaplains at most facilities bring someone in to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and hospice chaplains don't have it at all, that worship service component. Um, but then for the evangelical service, for the LDS service, for the Catholic, for the Jewish, I bring in the clergy volunteers for that. And they're so gracious to give up their time and to meet the needs of the students in that way.
1: When you're speaking to a group like that, how do you tailor a message or or seek out a message that you can share that what are you looking to accomplish?
0: It's really not as hard as it may sound. Every Sunday, um, the message is typically Judeo-Christian, but I spend an awful lot of time in the Old Testament because should I have a Jewish student attending, which typically I will, those stories are familiar to them. Mm-hmm. For instance, before the holiday of Purim within uh, Judaism, that Sunday I'll be telling the story of Esther. Well, that's an important story for the Christian kids to understand as well, right? That all of us can be brought to the kingdom for such a time as this, that there's a purpose for our lives. And it's individualized what the Lord needs us to do, but there's a purpose for everyone. So I try to tell the stories Is found in the Old and New Testament, and then the so what. So what, how does this apply to you? How does this apply to me? And it's amazing how they do. Thousands of years later, those stories still apply.
1: What are the things that you do personally that make you sort of fill your tank to be able to share with other people and to be there for them?
0: Um, Definitely my own personal study of sacred texts, uh, typically the Old and New Testament, but then also because I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the sacred texts there as well, and most importantly, probably the Book of Mormon, um, and another testament of Jesus Christ. I love reading some of the wonderful Christian authors, so I really appreciate C.S. Lewis, but John Ortberg just makes me laugh. And he's he's so good at putting the point across about that we are all created for a purpose, and we do not fear. You know, the Lord is with us. And so I really enjoy reading his books. I, I try to attend conferences as well. I'm attending the Christian Counselor Conference in Texas in a few months and really glean from, whether it's counselors or or other pastors and chaplains, LDS Chaplains Conference in October is incredible. They bring in people from all faiths to teach us LDS chaplains how to be better chaplains to their people. Yeah. It's wonderful.
1: It seems like a meeting like that really invites uh, what, in my terminology, I would call the Spirit of God. Something seems to be there. And I'm just wondering what you think about that there are so many people of so many different faiths in the world. You're an example and the people you work with an example of how they can come together.
0: I think if we focus on our differences, that can cause some anxiety and fear, trepidation sometimes. I go back to my early years of my spots problem, right? Mm-hmm. If everyone focused on my spots and how different I was, then that was, I felt the odd person out and and was nervous in social situations. But if we focused on I like to play hopscotch too, and I like to jump <laughs> rope, and I like to read. Then it wasn't a problem, and there's so many things that we can come together on. One of those really big things is service, humanitarian service, voluntary service. Everybody wants to help. When there's a hurricane, nobody cares you know, what religion the helpers are that are coming to help with the hurricane or with the refugees or whatever it is. Everyone just wants to help. When people are giving blood, when blood is needed because of horrible crash over weekend or whatever it may be, they don't care well, who's this blood going to? They don't care. they just know it's needed and people want people want to help. Oh. And so coming together, whether it's on a project for Habitat for Humanity or the Food and Care Coalition, these are local things that I have my students help with. They appreciate so much that they can help someone else. And it's just very valuable and that brings people together
1: personal knowledge, personal acquaintance seems to reduce fear. And I think there is right. fear sometimes when people meet people who are, quote, different than them right. religiously.
0: Right. There is fear, and I, I don't understand it because that fear is not from God. You know, we are all his children, and he loves all of us, and he wants us to get along. <laughs> so, So that fear does not come from God. But it's natural and common, and we can get over it, which is good.
1: What are the times when you most feel like God is working in my life? Hmm. Whether you've been surprised to look back or whether you've just actively had an awareness of that happening.
0: The communion that happens with him through, through worship on Sundays or not, through personal prayer, through study. I remember one time going through a really, really hard time. A lot of anxiety Was happening and I was not used to that. I'm typically not a very anxious person, but I had a lot of anxiety and it came on quite suddenly and then lasted for, oh, a good year. Hmm. And I would spend sleepless nights in prayer, found solace in, in music, in the words of hymns in scripture. And I remember one time um, reading, and I'd I'd have to look it up to find it right now, but (laughs) I can tell you the gist of it. And it was, behold, I have heard your cries, and I've seen your tears, and I will heal you. Now, the scripture didn't say when that was going to happen, but I felt that was a direct answer to me at that time. And it was maybe three or four months later in this year and a half or so process that it left as soon as it came, and I wondered about that opportunity to have that suffering because indeed there was suffering involved in that. I believe it helped me to understand students that I work with more, understand that that anxiety that is so crippling. They often have it much worse than I ever did at that time, but it gave me a taste so that I could perhaps have more empathy for them and for their families and for situations that they've been in and really understand them more. So even that ended up being a blessing. At the time, it was really rough, but Mm. it's a blessing.
1: I don't want to invade privacy, but what can a chaplain or someone trying to help people make a religious or a spiritual connection with God do to help people who have been through or are going through traumatic situations?
0: I think, first of all, they need to listen You know, if I came into you, you were going through a really hard time, you had just lost a loved one or whatever. And I said, so Steve, just so you know, one day you're going to look back on this and this is just going to be a great learning experience for you and you need to buck up because you're going to be okay, right? (laughs) You would probably dismiss me pretty quickly. Um, But if I listened and was just a, a caring presence with you and listened, as you told me, your experiences, what had happened how you felt. When we can share with someone, when the person who's hurting can share with someone, can find one person that they trust, that they can share with, their anxiety, their fear, the trauma that they've experienced really releases its hold on them. Being able to listen initially is just huge. And the time will come down the road when they'll kind of figure that out themselves. I remember a conversation with um, Elizabeth Smart. She came and spoke to our students and I was able to have a little a conversation with her as she was waiting to go on stage. And and I also listened to her. as She spoke to our students and she said, I am grateful for the experiences I've had. Now we know of her experiences, right? Yeah. Kidnap, rape, torture, horrible experiences that lasted over nine months. But she's far enough away now, removed from that horror, that she can see how her situation and her experience and her trauma, as she tells it, impacts other people, and that she's able to help them through their trauma, and she's able to help them know that they too can survive, and that they will be strong, and that they will be okay. And she's so grateful for that. And as you see her with, for instance, um, the students that I work with, they... They are so touched by that. And then they will share their experience that maybe they've never shared before because she's sharing hers and she's willing to.
1: She's been there.
0: She's been there. And so the listening component is just huge if someone's willing to share with us their story. Eventually, um, we can get to the point of talking about God and how he helped them through those times. But timing is everything. You know this. If I did a scale, da 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 da, without the timing in it, it's just a scale. But with the timing, da 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 da, then we have a song, right? <laughs> so timing is everything, and we need to be really in tune to the person that we're talking with, mentoring, being a shepherd to know when it's time to bring in the Lord. They they know themselves. They'll often bring it up. How do you when I ask questions like How do you think you made it through that? Pause. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> well, I think maybe God helped me, and some will will tell of experiences where they felt uh, either wrapped in the arms of deity, supported by angels,
1: even in the midst, even of even tra- in the midst tra- of
0: that, and they've but they've been so angry initially, they've been so angry about what happened to them or a loss they experienced that they've not wanted to share that or they've not wanted to believe it. But as they share and as they have someone that's listening, they will often open up and, and share that.
1: And are you asked, I guess it's the age-old question, if there is a God and God is loving, how could this have been allowed to oh, have happened?
0: Oh, all the time. Yes. I'm asked that frequently. And and I as I can share with them that... God will help us through our hard times, but people do make choices to hurt us, to hurt others, and that that does impact us. But then he is there to help us pick up the pieces and put people in our life that can help us along our journey. That seems to resonate and ring true, but I definitely am asked that question. One time a student said to me, and it's happened actually Other times since then, but the first time a student said to me, I don't believe in God. I never did. Don't believe. I said, my guess is you actually do believe, but you think maybe God doesn't like you. Because they've been through such horrible things, right? And they just kind of put their head down and paused. And I saw tears rolling down their cheek and they said, that's it. I guess he just doesn't like me. And so then I could go from there hmm. and 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 try to help them build a relationship once again that they did have, where they did feel like God was a loving presence in their life. But when these bad things happened, it must be because
1: God didn't like me. How has this experience affected you as a parent?
0: That of being a chaplain with at-risk teens? Yes. <laughs> I will admit I've said you have nothing to complain about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm sure they said, "Oh, you're right, Mother. I see. I see the truth of your words."
0: They rolled their eyes. <laughs> so, so I started being a chaplain when I one child was a brand new baby and the other hadn't been born yet, right? So, mm. so along the way, I was still having my last two my two children and raising all all four of them. I would bring them to things like like Christmas, Christmas Eve service, right? And they would be the angel and the Mary and the Joseph. But then I noticed the students look so longing about being a part of it as well. So here are these 15, 16-year-olds, somewhat looking tough kids occasionally. Can I be Joseph? Can mm. I be an angel? Can I? And so then it became all of us being in this Christmas pageant, right? All of us being in the nativity. And that brought such joy to my children and also to these students. But I did that because I remembered being 16 in the Philippines, my dad coming in on Christmas Eve and saying, we're going to the jail. I'm like, what? That's not how I pictured it. I already had a horrible bad attitude about being in the Philippines. We'd left Northern California. i just gotten my driver's license. I could just date. I had everything planned out for my junior and senior year, and we're moving to the Philippines. And it took me six months before I realized I couldn't AWOL I was on an island, there was nowhere to run, (laughs) and then I had to either change my attitude or stay miserable for the next year and a half because I was not getting off the island. We were there to stay. So I was. this was still in the part of anger, right? So I still had a bad attitude, but when my dad said, you're not staying home. You're coming, you're bringing your guitar, we're going to be singing Christmas carols, I want you to make some cookies, everybody's going. And my dad, when he put his foot down, we we did it because he so seldom did that this meant a lot to my dad. Hmm. And I respected my dad. And so I went, albeit I took my bad attitude with me. But when they, those who were incarcerated came and they, they were handcuffed at their wrists and they were shackled at their feet. And they just looked down and they looked embarrassed to be there, especially with the little children, you know, my little brothers and sisters. And uh, my heart changed at that time. I thought, my Christmas Eve is just fine, and I'll be going home with my family, and they can't go home to their family. And so I sang joyfully Christmas Mm. carols with them and shared the cookies with them. And from that day forth, my attitude really changed, and I look back on that as my most memorable Christmas. Mm. And did I get anything that year? Yes a change of heart. <laughs> um, but remembering that, I thought, my, I want my children to have the same experience. So that's been wonderful for them. And now the grandchildren come and participate in that Christmas Eve service.
1: Which is so beautiful, not to consider that those places, a prison or a place with at-risk youth, are sort of these walled-off, bordered places where people are totally other
0: they can be. I mean, we we hope to never have it be that way. But to
1: break that barrier is so the, meaningful. Yeah,
0: to bring family in. Now, I can't bring my children to work every day. They have their own jobs, and they're grown and married and gone. But I have had my children work there, mm. right? And I have had experiences where we can, where, where the campus is open, whether it's for the plays or for community events where the community is invited, but also we can mix a bit with the student population. That means so much to them, to my students, to be introduced to my children, because I still call my students, my kids, you know? Uh-huh. And so it's sometimes confusing. Now, which kids? The ones that you raise <laughs> or the ones that you're the chaplain for? But to see them connect and, and my students feel so honored that I would bring my family and let them meet them and I'm so honored to be able to be with these wonderful students who have experienced such trauma and have such hard things happening in their brains that they're trying to make sense of this crazy world, that I can be there with them every day. That's an honor.
1: Chaplain Tammy Harris, thank you so much for speaking with me today in good faith. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear a panel of listeners discuss the ideas presented by our guest, Chaplain Tammy Harris back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. Have you ever felt God was pushing you or nudging you down a certain path and it was not the one you had in mind? Have you been uncertain about how God feels about you? And have you ever been surprised with joy in what you thought might be a difficult situation? We invited a group of people to listen to our guest and then respond. Rachel Sherman is a producer at BYU Radio, a compulsive overconsumer of audiobooks and an under-consumer of salads. Lisi Clegg is a student of film and Arabic. Lance Davidson teaches exercise physiology and enjoys spending time with his family, playing racquetball, and exercising on trails. Nancy Busby is the mother of one daughter and soon-to-be son-in-law. She's an interior designer, wood toy maker, golfer, and family history enthusiast.
2: Something that Tammy Harris said about how we sometimes fear people that, not fear, but have a trepidation about uh, interacting with people of different religions than us uh, reminded me of an experience I had with my grandfather recently. He converted to Islam a few years ago and so suddenly he he wasn 't religious before, so suddenly he became my grandfather who wasn 't religious to you know a Muslim that i i didn 't feel like I knew how to relate to him in the same way anymore since I' felt like such a big life change and Um, I was in Colorado with my parents for Memorial Day recently, and we had family over for a barbecue, and it was during Ramadan, so my grandpa was there, but he wasn't eating the hamburgers, obviously, because he was fasting, and I felt... So nervous the entire time i'm just wondering, is he judging us? what does he think we 're all eating, and he 's not eating doesn 't seem like he 's talking to anyone, and so I felt just really strongly that I should just go talk to him and ask him how his fasting was going i I was just surprised at how much nervousness I felt with just a member of my own family being of a different religion, but I talked to him about his fasting and he told me about it. And just as, you know, as a Mormon, we fast sometimes too. So that was something we had in common, but we were both just there to be part of our family that we loved. And that was a commonality that uh, really helped kind of take away the, the nervousness I felt about having someone of a different religion in my family.
3: That is a really interesting experience. I think it's a different thing to have someone from a different religion and meeting them for the first time and becoming friends with them versus somebody who's in your family, who you've known for a long time and then getting to know them with their new beliefs or with their different beliefs. And it comes out to be so satisfying when you, (laughs) when you really sit down and like she was saying, um, like Tammy was saying, listen to people and let them tell what, like what it is in their hearts. I had the opportunity to go to Jordan this last fall semester, and while we were there, our teacher, all of our teachers were Muslim. And one of our teachers, by the time the four months were up, we were really good friends, and she wanted to take us to dinner one of the last weeks we were there. And so um, one of the other students and I sat down with her, and we ended up having a three-hour-long conversation about her beliefs and why she believed it. and what her story was because she was born Muslim, but wasn't always a believing Muslim. And so she explained that to us. And that was one of the most holy experiences I've ever had, was listening to her belief of God. And I still consider her one of my closest friends because of that experience.
4: I think it's it's tough sometimes to try to identify with people that we know on one level, not maybe not the a religious level, but a sibling or a parent, grandparent, when those things change, when religion in the background changes, I have six brothers, all raised in in one religion. And it's not as if I'm not used to other religions because each of my grandparents came from different, the sets came from different different, uh, denominations, Christian denominations. But to see, it then becomes um, something that I'm afraid to talk about. With my, with my brothers or my siblings. and it seems like it's something that I that you avoid, like politics and, and religion. you just don't talk about them, perhaps even specifically with family. But when I have had those conversations, generally they're the most meaningful because these are people you love and they're people that you that you care deeply about. When the belief system varies between you, then you you work harder to try to identify with it, I think. Um, understand why why he may think that way, or why I may think that way, and he doesn't. You know that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. It's it's important that we interact with them in a way that um, that invites that, so that we may have that that connection. Because, as you were saying, Rachel, it, it could very well be that your grandfather was feeling uncomfortable, and and you were feeling uncomfortable, and that and that was broken down when you when you stepped across that barrier.
5: This reminds me of talking about our differences and fears and of how important it is to, as Tammy Harris talked about, to listen. I find that sometimes we, kind of like you expressed at the beginning, Rachel, you were a little bit nervous and afraid and not sure what to say. And I think that because we were trying to figure out well how, how we feel or what they think of us, it's important to ask people questions about them and what they're going through and do that listening thing. I had a a neighbor who was very, um, she was very disconnected from, from her family and from any of the other neighbors around. People were almost afraid to go and talk to her or have a conversation about anything. And I had struck up a friendship with her sister and kind of got to know her that way. One day I just Decided to come right out and ask her, say, well, tell me about your experiences and, and why you feel the way you do about, about, you know, some of the culture and and people that you live around. She kind of stopped and looked at me like no one's ever asked me that question before. And we developed a very deep, long-lasting friendship because of that. And I think we all want to be heard and understood and not judged and and that that's an important way to find commonality is to be interested in other people's stories as opposed to being more concerned about well what do I think or what will they think of me specifically when she said um, and in speaking of the prison experience she talked about the when she returned the the smell. And the, the, the cleanness of the of the tile on the floor that she could that, that brought back these memory memories and she said that she felt God there and that God can be anywhere. And when she said that, I immediately thought about an experience I had a couple of years ago when my when my sister was diagnosed with cancer and it was very it was very severe. They they didn't think that she would survive. Fortunately she did, so we'll just, <laughs> just start with that. But She lives out out of state, and when I went to visit with her and stay with her and help for a couple of weeks, the thing that struck me and that that I think reminded me about this is that God can be anywhere and often in places you don't expect. I think people expect when they go into a church that they might feel something. When I got to her home and walked in the door, I felt the presence of God there. It was a very sacred experience. And I, I remember it really hit me because I was not expecting that at all. I was going into this home where this person who I loved was very sick. And to experience that in a place outside of somewhere I would expect, it really it really struck a chord with me. And it's, it's a memory that, that I'll definitely carry with me, similar to how Tammy remembered that in a prison you might not you might not think, oh, that's where you're going to f- feel the presence of God or, or a sacred experience, and um, that's I've definitely found that to be true.
3: Yeah, that idea of being surprised by God in places you wouldn't n- expect him is, I think, that's some, the, a hallmark of, of her service, Tammy, being able to break down those walls, uh, even as a three- or four-year-old singing songs for the inmates and not even realizing that they were outside of her normal or what we would consider quote-unquote normal community and seeing them as people. I think it's very similar whether it's situations or people that we wouldn't expect. And when we take the time to break down those barriers, God is in the in-between. Some of my most powerful experiences with God have been taking the time to, to listen and being in those places a couple of years ago I had the opportunity to attend an addiction recovery program with a friend. While I was there just being an observer, I was amazed by the power that people had who want to be healed. Some didn't want to be healed but just needed somebody to listen to them, and it was that time of breakdown and we've we've hit this we need help that God was there very powerfully. I think that's something that she that Tammy especially when she was, she talks about one of the students saying, I don't believe in God, I've never believed in God. And then, and then she pauses and says, well, maybe you do believe in God, but you just don't think he likes you very much. And the student realizes that that's, that's what they have been believing. Having somebody to tell you that to say, you know, you're going through a hard time, but God is good. God is good, no matter what you're going through, and that those realizations are so holy. And I think that's what makes a space so holy.
2: I think it's one of the most unfortunate and also fortunate facts about life and believing in God is that usually when you're at, in really bad circumstances, that when your life's not going the way you thought it was going to be, or when you're around other people who are having trouble, having cancer or suffering from addiction of some sort, that that's where we find God the most. And I know that's definitely been true in my life. Something else Tammy Harris mentioned was having Elizabeth Smart come talk to some of her students that experiencing trauma in your life really equips you to be able to to help other people. The, some of the lowest times in my life, I remember the most traumatic thing in recent memory has been uh, that my uncle committed suicide, and it meant so much, like it was a hard time for me, but it meant so much to me to have other people come up to me and be like that happened to me too. someone in my family has killed themselves, or any expression of validation or or shared experience really really means a lot and helps me you know realize that God is looking out for me.
4: I was thinking about the little three to six year old girl being brought into a a lockdown prison. I wondered why why didn't the dad Tell her, and maybe he did. Why didn't he prep her a little bit? These are these people are going to look a little rough, or whatever, whatever it was. She didn't remember that, or didn't include that as part of the of the story. And I think that that, in itself, is a training ground, perhaps, that made her a, a fantastic chaplain. I've had an opportunity to speak at, at at a Utah State service, I suppose, where where we'd go and and give a talk about God to inmates and it was a lockdown. So we had to go through several doors to get in there. And I don't know how, how um, structured her her experience was. She said she knew all the, all the places, we could only go here and there. And I think the thing that I struggled the most with in that was coming up with a talk. What do I say to these people? Mm-hmm. What topic do I bring to to discuss? And is that going to help them at all at this point? trying to identify with them in some way, but I had a similar experience to what, or at least when she talked, when when Tammy talked about her experience there and and identifying with the people in a way, it reminded me immediately um, of the feeling that I had once I was, I guess, on the way out or during that, during the talk or during the discussion, all of a sudden Barriers were taken down, fear of, are these guys going to recognize me outside when they get out? And I, <laughs> will I say something that was bad? All that fear was gone. I instantly realized that their their problems were just different than mine. And I have a lot of joy in my life. Why can't I share that with them? I really enjoyed the experience that I had going and, and speaking and, and doing a service, maybe like what Tammy Harris does or did. And I'm so grateful for it. It it changed me at the time. I'm still not sure that I would take my children there. (laughs) Um, But if I did, I would want them to have a similar experience where they interact with them and understand that these people all wearing the same color are truly the same people, the people that we'd see outside just with different problems. This is a conversation in good faith. Listeners
1: sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with chaplain Tammy Harris. Find the full episode online at byuradio.org slash in good faith. Now back to the conversation.
5: I think that's part of Tammy's mission, if you will. She's taken on a spiritual role as a as a leader and a mentor to at-risk teens. She talked about speaking of fear again, if if we focus on on differences, it creates fear. But when we come together, when there's a need, that's when we can make a difference for each other. And, and listening to each of us share these experiences, I was thinking about how one of the things I really loved about learning from my sister during her experience was she she said she was completely shocked at the number of people who came and brought her things or came to talk to her or visit with her, she said people who she didn't even know even necessarily noticed she was around or would care that she was sick. And and I think that 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 human experience of reaching out to help each other in a common in a common goal with one another um, is is such an important part of the human experience. And Tammy also talked about things like, you know, whether you're coming together to feed the hungry or habitat for humanity or giving blood, no one's asking, Well who's who's getting the blood. <laughs> we just know there's a need and there's a feeling that accompanies that that is a positive and that everyone benefits from, both those who are struggling and those who are reaching out to help. And it does it does help lift up those who are going through hard times to have some hope. And and, and I think that's just an important part of life's experience.
3: Her experience that Tammy Harris shared about the spots as she was younger really hit a soft spot for me because in the last, like since my senior year of high school and my third year of college now, I've had a health condition that has been, at first I it took me three years to figure out the diagnosis for it. So that was a dark place for a long time. But once i did figure it out and going through the symptoms of these these health issues it took a lot of groaning and complaining and and prayer in my room when no one else was home and then learning patience along with that and and realizing that she shared how she had the faith to be healed and she felt like she would, she one night she went to bed she prayed and she's like i want my spots to be gone in the morning And I can't tell you how many times (laughs) I've had that prayer. Next month, I'll be good next month. But in those prayers, another reassurance of peace and patience comes. And being able to say that this experience is, you get to a point where the experience itself is the blessing and not the healing. So I really resonated with her on that point. It's something, it will come, healing will come in time, whether that's now or when I'm Good and gone, <laughs> but it will come, and it's in the Lord's time, and I trust that. And learning to trust that has brought me the most peace, not only for my my health, but in my career decisions and in schooling, knowing that God is a master planner, and He's really good at what He
2: does, and He does it beautifully. Um, something specifically that I remember related to her her experience of praying that she would be healed the next day. As Lisi said, we all go through that. We all have that prayer. Something I remember specifically as a kid was when I used to get these bizarre like muscle shivers when I was going to bed at night and it was hard to fall asleep. I'm sure it was anxiety related. I still don't know. But I remember um, I thought there was this one primary song, the song we learn in the children's organization in the LDS church. It's called Primary. And the song is about faith, and it's about how faith is a little seed. And so I knew that if I sung this song about faith all night long in my head that I would wake up the next day and I'd be better. And so I'd just repeat the song to myself over and over and over again. And it worked. Every time I did it, it worked. The next morning I woke up and I was fine. And so I that led me to believe that – It was possible to pray with enough faith and just repeat the right words, and maybe everything would be better. Typically, that hasn't panned out as I've become an adult, uh, not surprisingly. Like everyone, I'm sure we all have, I've had health struggles that they haven't gone away in the way I wanted them to. Um, But I find that when I just stop focusing on it, if I focus on other people, um, try to serve other people, I forget about my own problems. And eventually, I was lucky that eventually I just. I don't notice my problems anymore, especially my health problems. So, I, I don't know, it, it is, I've, it's been a struggle to have faith in, in God's timing, but it, it always works out. And I should learn by now that it always works out.
3: Should learn by now, or <laughs> or it's a lifelong learning process.
2: Yeah, maybe tomorrow
3: I'll learn it. Yeah, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> if you have enough faith. Yeah.
5: <laughs> I really liked the comments that she made about helping others through trauma. And being able to to help other people through their their experiences, and when she she shared that Elizabeth Smart had come and and spoke and and was able to say she was grateful for her experiences, I was divorced. What is it now? Twenty twenty five years ago or so, and that whole experience and how it happened was very traumatic for me, and and it really tried my faith. It, made, it really made me. It forced me to my knees. And to try to f- find out, is God really there? Is he, can he help me through this? Or am I just left to my own devices here? And I had other people who reached out to me who had been through that experience, who sat down and shared with me, you know, oh, 10 years ago, you know, 10 years later, this is where I am in my life. And so all is not over, all is not lost. That meant so much to me that I, in turn, used prayer to To express to God my desire to be able to help someone else in that situation and, and so that this experience I was going through wasn't, wasn't in vain. You know, I have gr- grown to appreciate many aspects and things that I've learned through that experience, and it's always a little bit vindicating when I see someone going through that difficult time in life and, and to be able to sit down and talk to them and listen, empathize, and um, and help them kind of see, the, see the, the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, Rachel, Lise, Lance, and Nancy, and especially to Chaplain Tammy Harris for generously sharing her stories and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Where do you listen to In Good Faith? We'd love to know. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find us online at byuradio.org ingoodfaith. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Our Twitter feed is at ingoodfaithbyu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. Our student assistant is Lisey Clegg. Our associate producer is Rachel Sherman. I'm your host and producer, Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you join us again soon right here in good faith.